This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. As we start tonight, I want to show you a quick video uh, that I think is super, super helpful when we think about furthering your generosity. This is a group, uh, I've shown some of this before, but it's a group by The Bible Project, and they do make some really great theme videos of, of how they encourage people uh, to think about the Bible. So I want us to watch this together. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously, doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. 
And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan, really. Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. way to, to think through that about how God's generosity and how that we're supposed to reflect that out of it. So I love the way that they summarize it to say, look, this is all about how God is being generous from the very beginning and saying, I want you to experience abundance. And when they started pulling out different things, you saw the, the loaves and the fish, right? You see how, okay, there's only this much, but God does something where he causes an abundance to have and, uh, happen. And so I think it's such a beautiful picture of why are we blessed as much as we are? Well, it's in order to be a blessing. And so um, as we look at this, it, it says down there, the, uh, the opening kind of words, the more that God blesses us financially, the more we can bless others as well. Within the heart of God, we learn how to further our personal generosity. And so let's look at the standard of giving. And as we look through that video and think through it also uh, uh, this morning, the standard of giving is, be, uh, is God because he is the original and the ultimate giver. If we think through what God has done, our whole standard that we look at is because God is the original giver, uh, but he's also the ultimate giver. Uh, I even love to think through what Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him over for us all, how will he not also with him now freely give us all things? If God gave his son for our salvation, what would God hold back from us? Uh, there's nothing. God has spared nothing from us and, and is an ultimate and wonderful giver, which allows us to sort of see that as a standard. Proverbs 14.31 says it this way, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Think about that. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So if you oppress a poor man, if you hold someone back, that is an insult to the maker. Why? Because who is the maker of the poor man? God is. Who is the maker of the rich man? God is, every single person. And so when we deny someone, when we oppress something from someone else, it's an insult to that person's maker. I love the way that the book of James says it. In fact, he says, those of you who show partiality to somebody, right? Somebody comes in in a nice robe, a nice ring, and you say, oh, come over here and sit. And once you get you a nice honored seat, and someone comes in who's poor, and you say, why don't you go sit in the corner? He goes, look, you, you've shown partiality. That, that's an insult to God because God made them both. Uh, it's not that because God loves the rich people and, you know, abandons the poor people. He, he loves them both. So whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy 
honors him. And so when we are generous to people are, that are in need, it's actually an honor to God. We are showing honor to God. Now, let me ask a question. When you, when you normally think of this, when it says who is generous to the needy, what type of need do you normally goes into your mind? Someone who's generous to the needy, what type of needy person? What are they needing? Food, food or clothing, a place to stay? Let me ask you, are there other types of needs than just those? Friendship? Yep. What else? They need God, right? They need the gospel. All types of things. So I think sometimes when I hear needy, I think of someone who is physically poor. And is that something God's talking about here? Absolutely. There's also a lot of people that are very, very rich, but are very, very needy of the gospel, right? Um, I one time was challenged. Uh, I was, um, well, I was, I was a college student in North Greenville. And there was a guy who came in and was asking me about my home church where I grew up and asked about our mission projects. And um, I told him about a mission project that we did in the uh, inner city of Greenwood. And he said, Greenwood? I've never heard of it. He goes, does Greenwood have an inner city? And I was like, well, I mean, kind of. He's like, do you mean just the poor area of town? And I was like, well, I guess so. And he says, he goes, well, tell me what you do. And I said, well, you reach out to these kids in this neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. And he says, let me ask you a question. Do you ever go to the trailer parks and reach out to those kids? And I said, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, do you ever go to the rich neighborhoods and reach out to those communities? And I, I, I said, well, we, and I'm sitting here thinking we were doing a very noble thing. He says, no, what you're doing is you're kind of showing who you think has certain needs and you're concerning yourself with them, but you don't understand. Every neighborhood in your city has needs. Some of them are physical and they do need food and they do need certain things. They need housing. But every single neighborhood in your town is needy of the gospel. And even in fact, Jesus would say this. Uh, who were, uh, he would say that some of the most difficult people to get into heaven are who? The rich, right? It says harder for somebody to, go to, uh, to fit through with the eye of a what? Eye of a needle than it is a rich person to go into heaven. And so we've made all kinds of exception clauses trying to explain this. How many of you have ever heard the thing about the, the eye of the needle and it was about some kind of bar that you had to basically bend down? Have you ever heard that? I've, I've researched what people have tried to explain that story. It's not true. <laughs> It's not, it's not anywhere in Jerusalem. There's no kind of you know, bearing on what that is. You know what that is? That's Americans trying to make an exception clause to a hard saying of Jesus. That's what that is. What is he saying? It says it's very difficult for a rich person to enter into heaven. Why? Because they don't think they need anything. They think they got it all figured out. And he goes, it's just difficult because you think that somehow you can make it. And so we have to realize that we want not to oppress somebody because they are made in the image of God but also generous to the needy, all types of different needs. And this, this verse telling us about how God is the standard of giving, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his, not just one of many sons, right? It's his only son. This is something very super precious to him, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, about a time where I was able to uh, I gave out or I let someone borrow my 1988 Bronco 2 that officially my mom had given to me, but officially I did not pay for. But it was easy for me to give that, right? Because I thought I'd get it back pretty soon and I didn't pay for it. And if you think about someone, let's just imagine somebody in here that you had 30 cars in your driveway right now that you belong, that you own, all different types and whatnot, and somebody had a need. is It's not that difficult if you've got 30 of them to give one away, Right? If you've got one, is that a little bit more difficult to give that one up? Yeah, because you go, if I give up that one, this is something specific. When God so loved the world that not only did he give, but he gave his only son. And this is a son that he cherishes that was living in heaven and 
And Philippians 2 will tell us that Jesus did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He made in the likeness of man, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so God so loved the world that he gave the thing most precious to him for us. That's a standard that I think he wants us to live by. That if God could give the thing that's most precious to him, then what are we being with stingy of what we have? So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's the goal. So when we give, as kind of the examples I try to give this morning is, whenever we give, it's going, Lord, what if you could use this to help people find eternal life? Like, that's worth it, right? Um, I, sometimes I've had people say, um, we spent all this money sending these missionaries over there, and, and what came back? Well, we only know of one convert, and we spent $20,000 on that one. You know, that, that's a, a lot of money. And I go, was it worth it? One person? I'd say, yeah. One life is incredibly more valuable than $20,000, right? That's right. You don't know. We, we, we don't have the eyes of God to determine who really did. We know of one person who came up and told us, but we don't know if there's somebody else, and we don't know what's going to happen with that person. They're going to go back to their family and say, I've been changed by the gospel, and you need it too. We never know how God will use all those things. And so we look at the image of God, how he loved the world. The next uh, thing there is, I want you to think for a second, what has God given? Uh, we know, obviously, he, he's given us Jesus, but what are some of the other things that you can think of that God has given to us, his people? Somebody give me just, give me an example. Life, for one thing, right? Absolutely. And not only life, you know, a few years ago, but today, right? Today's a gift. Was everybody, did everybody get today? No. We, we were given this as a gift. What else has he given us? Everything we have, well, there just went to the point, didn't you, Keith? Okay, yeah, so everything we've got, it, it's true, right? What do you have that you say, you know, like God hasn't provided from, from finding a church family to having relationships around you to the, the needs that are provided, food, shelter, uh, sunsets? You know, I mean, all of the different things that we, we think through that God is so good. I mean, to be honest, I mean, how many of you, I don't know when the last time you are that you've, you've stopped and thought, to God and said, God, I want to thank you for hot water in my house. But, but go without it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, go, with that. go out out heat without hot water, and you go, that's a pretty good gift, is it not? And does everybody have it in the world? No, it's not. Um, the only time that I've ever enjoyed having when there wasn't a hot water was when you spend time in, say, Africa or something in the middle of the summer, and you get a shower, and you get a shower, and all they got is cold water, and you don't mind. <laughs> But as soon as you get out of that cold shower, guess what? You're already sweating again and <laughs> covered with dirt and, and sand. And, and it just it goes that quick, right? But in this, you go, how many things has God given us that we just we don't even think about? Don't ever stop to say thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So some people, if you think about just the heat, but also not having cl uh, clean water and whatnot, that you can just go to the spigot right now. And I know some of y'all probably got purifiers on everything that comes out, but you, you got pretty good water no matter what you know, faucet it comes out of your house. And that's a gift. And how often do we say, thank you, God, for that? God gives us a whole lot of good things. In fact, James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, then there is no variation or shifting shadow. And so when we think of anything that God has given us, it's a good gift. So when we are generous, we reflect the benevolent nature of God. So when we're generous to other people, 
we are reflecting uh, God being benevolent and generous. And so whenever we give something, it should be a sense of this is what um, gives God gives us good gifts. Um, you know, when, when, you're a, uh, when you're talking to children about at Christmas time and trying to tell them about uh, Jesus and they're only thinking about how many things that they can unwrap, right? We'll tell kids, hey, we give gifts because what? God gave us his gift, and then here come these wise men, and they gave gifts to Jesus, right? This is kind of why we do this, but ultimately it's supposed to be reflecting it. So when we are generous, when we are going and saying, let me see what I can do with what I've been given to help someone else out, that should reflect, and people go, wow, I understand a little bit more the heart of God because I see your heart in the way that you're generous. And so our lives should be a channel through which God's generosity flows. Our lives should be a channel through which God's generosity flows. So as he fills up uh, our, uh, what we have, we're, we're that channel through which we can give to other people. So um, just imagine that there's, um, and uh, we've taken our kids before to this place called Great Wolf Lodge, which is this indoor water park, Can you go in and stay, and it's just absolutely insane. And you just want to think about the gallons of water that goes and cycles through that, right? But there, there are certain things where, like, the water will come out from this spot and it'll fill in this bucket. And as soon as it fills in this bucket, it sort of turns over and fills in that next bucket. And this one, you know, and, and you just see it. And that's really a picture of what God does, is that he fills up our buckets, right? And, and has opportunities for us to, there's a hole over here and it's, and it's uh, draining out and helping this person or it's spilling over into that. And so that's kind of the, the mentality, the illustration that I always see it is going, God has always been so good to us always so good to us. Even for everybody in this room, they could say, yeah, but I could do with a little bit more. I get that. But God pours in and gives us stuff that we have the opportunity to give to other people. So, so God really is the standard of giving and why we should be generous in the first place. The second thing is the priority of giving. And um, we, we mentioned this a, a little bit this morning, but just as a way to make sure that we, we kind of hone in on it, we should not resort to giving our leftovers to the work of the Lord. We should not see how little that we can do or uh, just doing the bare minimum. That, that's not exactly the priority of giving. Uh, if you remember, um, the first murder in the Bible was, uh, who did it? Does anybody remember? Cain. And he killed who? His brother Abel, right? And uh, he got really jealous because God was honoring what Abel gave to God. And, he, and God showed kind of disregard for Cain's gift. Why did God show disregard for Cain's gift? Because Cain showed disregard for God and what he gave. And, and you go, well, so uh, Abel gave part of his flock, and then Cain gave part up from the field. He, one was a farmer, one was a shepherd. So some people say, oh, well, God must like sheep more than he does grain or something. It's not what this is about. It, there's a very uh, important word that it talks about Abel's sacrifice. It says that he gave basically his first or his best from the flock. He gave his best, and, it, and it's implying that what is Cain doing? I'll just give you something, right? I'll give you something to kind of appease, and God can say, you know, if somebody else were to look at it to say, did Cain bring something before God? Yep. But God knew the heart of it. And that this wasn't a priority place for Cain. It was kind of like, I'll just do just enough, right? I'll do the bare minimum to say, I'll appease God. I've, I've done what I wanted to. But God looks at it and says, I know what you gave, and, and I know that your heart wasn't in this. But Abel, he gave his first. He gave his best. Proverbs 3, 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. So it doesn't say, let's give the bare minimum to God. 
let's give our leftovers to God. It's saying, honor the Lord with your wealth uh, and with the first fruits of all of your produce. And so you want to say, God, this is um, what I've been given, so let me do the absolute best that I can. And so um, I, I know this, that if every single person here, if you just decided that you were going to stop giving to the work of the ministry in, in however capacity you did, I know this about um, money and about time. You will find something to put it to, right? If, if you know, it's amazing that if you just, if if everybody in here, if all of a sudden you came into a large sum of money, you'd find something to spend it on. That's just the way that we're wired. If all of a sudden you got this extra batch of time, you'd find something to do with that time. And then all of a sudden you go, I don't know how to do it because if if God decided tomorrow, you know, you know. If someone asks you, are you really busy? And you just go, I wish there was just 25 hours in the day, right? Or I just, I need a little bit more time. If God gave you 25 hours tomorrow, guess what you'd be wanting? 26. It's not enough, right? I, I can't get everything done. That's just the way that we are. And the same thing with money is that we just always find something to go to. And God says, I want you to honor me with your first. Not your last, not your leftovers. I want you to honor me with your first. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, that is an interesting verse, folks. Is it not? So if you are generous to the poor, it's lending to the Lord. Now, I would never think that God is someone who needs a loan, right? I don't think that. Uh, and then the verse says, don't worry, he'll repay you for his deed. So, so when I think through that verse, right, if I am generous to the poor, whether that's poor physically or poor spiritually, I am using what I have to bless those in need in some type of way. It's almost like I am loaning the Lord something, okay? And I just use the, the illustration that Proverbs is going here. And, and basically God is promising, don't worry. You'll get that and then some when all the accounts are settled. It'll be taken care of. Now it doesn't say... Once again, that some of the prosperity preachers will, will teach nowadays is if you'll give this, you have put God on the hook, and he's going to have to give you ten times much what you put in, right? It's not exactly what the Bible's teaching here, but it's saying this. Don't worry, God will repay you. And it might be in financial gifts. It might be. Some of you, guarantee you probably have this testimony I've had, where there have been certain times where I have said, okay, Lord, there's this need, and ah, this is going to be hard to meet, but God, I trust you, I'll do this. And you know what happened as a result of that? God did surprise me with something I didn't see coming financially. I thought, whoa, I, I used this and spent that and didn't see. I thought we were going to be hurting. And God says, surprise, took care of that and then some. Some of y'all have had those moments before. And you go, wow, thank you, Lord. Can you guarantee me that you'll do that every time? <laughs> and, and I don't think we can put him on, on the line where he has to do that. But I also know this, once again, as we mentioned today, that I think there's going to be some moments that we get to be in heaven and God going, See what you got to be a part of? You got the used vehicle instead of the new vehicle so you could give to this ministry. And guess what? Let me introduce you to somebody that's here today as a result because you sent that missionary out. And you got to be a part of that story. But God, I didn't go over there to that, that mission trip. I didn't meet that person. But you got to be a part of it. You got to be a part of it. Um, it is so incredible. Um, I'm, I mentioned this in the second service, but somebody came at me after the first service that I need to tell just this abbreviated story for you guys if you were in the first. But um, such a neat story. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said it was so awesome that God used 
um, something we started giving two years ago. Uh, there was a church plant going on, and we decided that we were going to give over and beyond to this church plant, and it was kind of a Ooh, this is hard, this is a sacrifice, but we're going to jump in and do this. And so we started giving for this church plant to go out. And then years later, after we'd been supporting that church plant for a long time, uh, this person's son came up and said, hey, mom and dad, I want to let you know something. I'm being called to help lead a new church plant. And it was the church plant that they had been financially supporting. And so they had been setting the, the, basically the path and laying the foundation for somebody to come alongside. And in fact, what they were doing was that they were funding their son to step into that role. And that church is established now and doing well. And guess what? That church is planning other churches right now. Like, isn't that awesome? And they said, you know what was so awesome? Like, I, we love that God allowed us to be a part of that. Like, we didn't know. I mean, parents, let's be honest. If you knew that your child was going to, you, you'd think about it differently. They didn't. They just said, this is a church plant. Let's get behind it. And then God says, and I'm going to connect somebody from your family to that need. And, and, and as, as they were telling me that story, I thought, that is such a beautiful story of God's faithfulness, but also it's probably representative of what he's doing all the time, and we always don't see those connections either. Like that was an opportunity. They saw the connections, but I'm just saying every time we give, you just never, ever know um, how something like that is going to happen and take place. And so even if you think about it, when we gave today uh, as a church and a great percentage of that goes, I would say a, a sizable percentage from our church goes directly to the cooperative program. And as Southern Baptist, that means that it goes to this huge, huge pot that all these Southern Baptist churches give to, and it's sending out missionaries to the IMB and church plants through North American Mission Board and, and funding six uh, seminaries and doing global disaster relief and feeding homeless and getting children in foster care. Like, you just can't even imagine. And so for me, as somebody like, I love you know, whenever I think through putting that dollar in the plate, right, at a Rocky Creek, I go, think about all the places this goes, right? When we, when we broke down that dollar in that little magazine we gave you all back in November, I wanted it because I wanted kids in our church to be thinking about the budget. And when I got home that one Sunday uh, and my kids were like, Dad, why did you all cut that dollar up? What does this mean? I was like, yes, okay, this is working, right? And I got so excited. We got to talk about that whenever you give just $1 here, just think about all the ways that that goes out. And God is able to do something, and I think, once again, that repaying for your deed, God's going, you're going to be a, be a part of some stuff that you can't even imagine. And so our level of giving should not be based on how little we can offer. If it's to be a priority, uh, it should not be to see, once again, how little can I get away with, right? God, if he's asking for this, let me see how, how small of an amount I can give. No, no, no. It's how much, not just how little, we can offer um, God did not offer us as little as he could give, right? He gave us his absolute best, and so that priority should be there for us. And so uh, principle here is don't give what's left, give what's first. Don't give what's left, give what's first. Start there and consider how you can move your way around. Uh, I mentioned this before, but even if the bank won't um, <laughs> determine that your tithe or your ministry offerings or gifts to other ministries is not a bill that they can equate for when you're getting a loan for a house or something else, you determine that's going to be. That's a non-negotiable. We're going to give to the work of the ministry. We're going to say we're going to give first versus to see what's left. Because once again, if you wait to uh, give what's left, there won't be any. You'll find a place to put it somewhere. Um, next here is the proportion of giving. This is what I think is so important for us as, as Christians to remember. God doesn't have the right to only 10% of your income since he is responsible for 100% of it, right? 
Well, the first things we teach our kids right early on is about the tithe and the 10% principle. And we want you to make sure that you give 10%. So a lot of times if you, if you look at a kid and say, all right, if you have $10, how much of that belongs to God? They go, one. And you'll go, no. And actually, like 10 belongs to God. All 10 belongs to God. And you can honor him with the way that you spend all 10 of those. Now, yes, one of those immediately should be saying, okay, I'm going to put aside to what God's doing. But the other nine, you should prayerfully consider, what do I do with it? All the time, right? Thinking through that. The passage of scripture that uh, is often cited here is Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The only time in the Bible where God ever says, test me. In fact, Scripture normally says what? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't, don't, don't test him. But he says, no, no, you can do this here. Promise me, he's talking to these, these people, his, his people back in the time of Malachi. I want you to bring in the full tithe. That word just means tenth. Bring in a tenth of what you have. Bring it into the work of the temple and the community of faith. And you watch. And they're going, but if we do a tenth, we're not going to be able to take care of our needs. He says, I'm going to open up a window of heaven, and you will have plenty. You will never go without, I promise you. Put me to the test. Watch and do that. And some of you know this principle that God honors that, does he not? Sometimes you have given and thought, Lord, this just doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden, it, it, may, it works. In fact, I've seen some people who said, I'm looking on the spreadsheet, and I know it says it's working. I don't know how it's working, but God is faithful. I, we just made a, a commitment to the Lord. We're going to do what he's called us to do, and we're going to trust him in the process. If you turn over the page, we read Proverbs 3.27, where it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. That's a beautiful line. Just thinking about the proportion of giving that don't withhold something from somebody uh, if it's due to them, but also when it's in your power to do it. And this is why I think it's so interesting about the proportion of giving is that I think that out of all the things that God commands us, I think this is an absolute brilliant way that he has uh, put into us for us to at least the starting line for giving because the beauty of the tithe concept is that it aligns all of us to an equal proportion and not an equal amount. That's what I think is so beautiful about the tithe. It, it gets us all on the same level where we should be giving the equal uh, proportion but not an equal amount. So from the person who makes $10,000 this year to the person who makes a million dollars this year, whoever it is, it's not saying all of you need to give $1,000, right? Because the person who makes $10,000 goes, whew, that's hard. And the person who makes a million goes, that's nothing. So it's about a proportion and not just a set amount. And so if you really think about this, how brilliant this was, God knew that everybody would make different amount of money. And he says, so if we just do this on a, at least a starting place of a 10%, if everybody does this, it's not equal giving, right? But it's equal sacrifice. Not equal giving, but it's equal sacrifice. So it aligns all of us to an equal proportion, not exactly an equal amount. And so when we think about it, once again, in Malachi's day, uh, you guys know I, I've, I've said this when we were going through Malachi, but a lot of people will say, well, pastor, that's the tithe is an Old Testament principle, and we're not tied to Old Testament principles anymore. And I'll go, okay, let's go to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, everybody was selling everything they had and gave it away. You make the call. <laughs> would you rather do the 10th or would you rather do the 100%, right? You, you make the call somewhere in there. And a lot of people go, I like the Old Testament. I was like, I bet you do, right, okay? So, so I would say that if you look at it, um, I think a lot of times we see, and let's just be honest, 10th is a, that's a significant portion. 
And it's hard for a lot of people to get at, but I believe that the tithe was intended to be a starting line rather than a giving ceiling. It's to be a place to start, but that doesn't mean that the place you have to stop. Um, the, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the quote, and I can't remember the pastor who said this, but there was also a, a few hundred years ago, um, there was someone who said, no, no matter if you continue to increase in your wealth, you don't have to always raise your standard of living, but you can raise your standard of giving, is the way they, they said it. Just because you have more doesn't mean that you have to say, oh, how can I do this, right? And once again, take care of what you own. You can have nice stuff. You can have stuff that works. That's not a bad thing. But it just needs to be in proportion. You need to have a huge um, kind of the end game in mind. And this is something that this whole series has really challenged me to think through um, because I had somebody come up and say, well, Pastor, would it not be best just for me just to then give everything I have away right now? I don't need to worry about savings. I don't need to worry about retirement. Like, let me just advance the gospel and do this. And I said, okay, I can't tell you what to do or not to do, but let me also tell you this. What happens one day when you retire and you're sick and you need somebody to take care of you? He goes, well, I guess it'll be on my children to take care of me at that point. I go, okay. And what that means is they can't be as generous at that point in their life. Does that make sense? Now you've limited what they can do because they got to take care of you. So I'm saying be real generous now, but like I, I've really been praying and thinking through like, so what does it mean? Like, how can I set myself up right now to be as generous as I possibly can be, but also taking care of my home and retirement and all these kind of things so that one day when I die, I can still be as generous as I possibly can be. You see the difference? Like one is you could say, well, I'm just going to wait till one day I die and then I can be generous and you're not generous now. Or you can be super, super generous now and then you don't have anything to be generous with later. And Lord, is there a balance? And, and I'm trying to figure that out. Like how can I be as generous as I possibly can now but also take care of the needs that I have so I'm not a burden on anybody else so that when I even pass one day, I can be super generous. And so the tithe is intended to be a starting line, once again, rather than a giving ceiling. Um, I mentioned this in, in, in um, one of the classes that we did, but uh, one of the best books that I've read recently on, on biblical finance is by Art Rayner. It's called The Money Challenge. He also has one called The Marriage Challenge that basically is just finances for couples. Uh, Art Rayner is the guy's name. Small little books, but just sort of helps out and walks through those guidelines. But I love the, the principle that he does because as somebody who does stuff in ministry, he says, hey, if all you can give right now is 2% to ministry work, and you know 10%'s there, he would say, I'm not telling everybody. Now, some people could probably go t 2 to 10 right now. They just don't want to. But he says, if you're strapped so much because you're in debt and you're in so bad situation and you can't do anything, what if you're only at 2%? Why don't you try to get to 3% in the next couple of months? And then work yourself up to 4%. And then 5 And just work yourself up. And that helps me kind of think through how to help people out, right? If this is what you can do right now, work to where you can free yourself up to get there, but that's a goal, but that's not necessarily the ceiling. And so uh, make it your goal to give at least 10% of your gross income, right? Make it your goal to give at least 10% of your gross income. So that's just kind of a rule that, once again, one of the most common questions I have regarding finances, Pastor, do I need to give 10% of my net or 10% of my gross? And I would say, well, which is given the first fruits and which is given how skimpy can I get, right? Okay, and so I just would say this. I don't think we can outgive God, right? I don't think we can. So I think it's at least a good place to say before the IRS and Social Security and everybody else takes that significant portion of my check, before that number's come out, 
what is 10%? And that'd be a good goal to start with, right? Um, and so, and, and to work towards that. Um, and I think God honors that and also takes care of our needs. Uh, this next one says the uneasiness of giving, and you might think, I'm already there, <laughs> 10%, right? It's like, man, that's, I'm already uneasy. What are you talking about here? Um, but um, I, I'll also do this. Some of you in this room have been giving at a 10% level for a long time, and it's, it's kind of simple. You, you, you know how to navigate really well on that 90%, and it's not a problem, and you just go, hey, check. I'm done, and I am one of those, I, I like checking the box kind of commandments from the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just love to, have I done it? Check. All right, good. I, I'm good to go. And in this, I think from time to time, Scripture is going to teach us that the level of generosity should cause some level of uneasiness from time to time. Um, there might be some times in your life where God calls you to something, and it's not an easy path to give. And once again, I'll say this. Probably somebody here that giving 3% versus 2% would be, whew, that'd be challenging, Trav. That'd be hard for me to get to. I get it. And it's a trust factor a lot of times, is it not? Can God provide for my needs? Can God take care of those things? But sometimes I think God may even call us to wherever you are on this whole giving scale to do a little bit more that's actually a little uneasy, but going, okay, Lord, this is going to be a challenge to do. Um, 2 Samuel 24, 24, if you remember this passage, David has sinned and done a really ridiculous thing in trying to make the kingdom all about his glory. And, um, and basically, God is, has sent his judgment on the entire people, and he's trying to make things right. And he's looking for God has commanded him where he needs to go and to find this threshing floor where he can um, lay down this sacrifice and try to make things work. And so he rolls up to this place, and this guy named Aruna uh, owns the place. And all of a sudden, he sees King David come to his house, and King David says, I need that spot over there. I need to get it from you. I want to uh, pay for that little spot that you own because I need to build a, um, an altar there. I need to make a sacrifice there. And Aruna does probably what any other citizen would do in the country. Oh, king, you can have it. You just take it. Whatever you want, oh, king, is yours. He's probably thinking, you could take it from me if you wanted to right now, right? You're the king. He's a king. I will just give whatever you want. You just name it, and it is yours. And David says such a wonderful line here. King said to Aruna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. That, God, that David basically gives a wonderful principle a gift to God should cost us something, right? If it's just easy and there's, sometimes there's no tension there, that may not be some type of sacrifice. From time to time, God may say, hey, you're doing this, that's awesome, but what if you kind of you dug in a little bit and decided you, you need to do a little bit extra in there? Uh, and it can be challenging, but you're trusting God. And, and once again, David sets a wonderful example. Proverbs 22, 9 it says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he who shares his bread with the poor. So you have a bountiful eye. You're seeing things. You're, you're having a lot of good happen in your life. It's, it's abundance. You're blessed. And that how does that continue to happen? Because you share your bread with the poor. Well, here's what I know. If you share your bread with somebody, guess what you don't get to eat in completeness? <laughs> that bread, right? So if, if you go and if we all took our um, lunch to work tomorrow and you had a peanut butter jelly sandwich cut in half on the diagonal, because I know how some of you are. If you did that, and somebody somebody uh, came in and they didn't have lunch, 
and you decide I'm going to give half of that sandwich to this person I work with, guess what you only have now? You only got a half, and you're still hungry. And then about 2 o'clock, your stomach's rumbling so bad that people think there's an earthquake going on around you, right? There's just like, what, what in the world is that, right? There's some kind of sound coming down from underneath us. And he goes, when you share your bread with the poor, this is what you have to realize. You just lost some of the bread, and it's not coming back. You don't get that back. It's, it's now in the belly of somebody else. You don't want to see it ever again, right? Okay? It is gone, and it's done what it's called to do. And so with this, that there should be sometimes a level that when we're sharing something with people, you're saying, I am willing to do without for someone who is poor, once again, either physically or spiritually. Um, let's be honest. How many of you, when you see somebody, whether it's on Woodruff Road or somewhere else with a sign on needing something, don't we all go through a lot of different scenarios in our mind? right? It's struggle. It is for me because I want to go, what exactly would you do with this money if I gave you, right? And some of you would say, um, here's where I think we've got to respect each other's convictions in this. Some of you would say, well, if they're hungry, I'll go walk them in to cookout and I'll say, I'll buy you a meal. And they go, oh, I don't like cookout. I'll just take the money. And you go, well, if you really were hungry, right? And if you have that conviction, that's fine. And some of you would have the conviction I'm going to put $5 in this person's hand, and it's not my responsibility what he or she does with it. It's my responsibility what I did with it. That's your conviction. You have the right to do that, right? But whenever you say, I'm going to give $5, or I'm going to go buy a meal, or I'm going to do something, that's not necessarily anything you're going to get back. That's okay. There should be an uneasiness to go, all right, I can't do this right now. Uh, I was talking to my, my friend um, uh, when, <laughs> a few years ago, um, and uh, my friend has a, a, a little bit of some learning disabilities and was um, one day was just thinking that he could just, um, he hadn't provided, taken care of what he needed to for his meal that day. And he said, well, can't you just get my meal? And I said, well, buddy, we're saving up right now. And I just, you can't like assume that I can get your meal. He goes, you got one of those cards. Can't you just swipe it and it works every time? And I was like, it not exactly like that. Like when you swipe it, there's less on it than when it started with. He's like, really? I'm like, really? Like every time, like there's just, it's just subtracting, right? It's just going away. And yet whenever we give something out, there should be some uneasiness of going, I'm not, I'm not going to see that. It's not going to come back to me. There is, will the Lord bless you? Absolutely. But that little bit that you give, it's not going to come back. And so we, we, we're sitting right now in a church campus that has been blessed by the sacrifices of a lot of people before us. Right? Some of you folks have been here a long time. Y'all been through a bunch of building campaigns, and you've seen a whole lot of stuff, and you go, but the stuff that honestly a lot of people that came in and enjoy right now, they, it's built on the backs of people who walked in. Last year, we had 201 people join this church. 201 people joined the church in 2019, which made me think, if people just came in 2019 and joined the church, they had never seen the sanctuary in the red carpet before. You know? They walked in going, man, this place looks updated. I wonder how long it's been this way. Well, because some of us were sacrificing, right? And we did this, and they walk in, and they enjoy it, and it's wonderful. But at some point, it's going there have been people along the way that they sacrificed, right? I love in that, that magazine that we put out that's, that the church bell was, was bought by some Sunday school boys way back in the day that were saving money on some things. Miss Helen says they were saving money on bubble gum and cigarettes. I think it's what she told me. Uh, they, were, they were spending as much on there, but help buy, buy that chapel bell and, and how people paid for the baptistry years ago. Different things like that that we're sitting on, and yet... When you give to the work of the ministry, it's not necessarily coming back to you, but you are enriched, right? 
And so sometimes there is an uneasiness about when you give. Um, never settle into a standard of giving that keeps you cl uh, closed to further generosity. Never just settle in and just say, okay, well, this is enough, and I don't need to do anything else. Sometimes God will cause you to maybe do something unexpected.